We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast coming at you Friday afternoon. Uh, the Wolves played their 81st game of the season last night. Obviously, Anthony Edwards is 49 uh, point performance. I have Britt Robson of MinPost here to join me. Uh, the Wolves are locked into the 7-8 play-in matchup against the Los Angeles Clippers. So that will that will carry the you know, the majority of this this conversation today, just kind of previewing that play-in matchup. But I also have Britt here. He wrote a uh, a play-in preview, but I want to I want to start, Britt, by just talking about Anthony Edwards's 49-point performance. You didn't get to that in, in your column today. It's uh, obviously a very encouraging sign. If the, Even stats aside, just to see the way that Anthony Edwards played in that game, looking himself looking like the player he was back in December, January. So I'll just kind of give you the floor to start with uh, what we saw from Anthony Edwards last night and why that seems sort of instrumental in in predicting what this team can do in this, in these playoffs coming up. Yeah, I think that the, uh, this was one of the rare ant games where uh, the stat sheet underrates the performance. I really think that uh, he started by playing great defense. Uh, I really thought that their on-ball defense, I know Cat said last night, you know, all Cat did was look at 35 points at the, you know, the end of the first quarter. But the first half of the first quarter was really encouraging, really nice rotations, really smart on-ball defense, the kind of thing that Finch always preaches and doesn't get very often lately. Uh, and Ant was a big part of that. He just seemed like he was moving better. And then, you know, he got to the rim a bunch. Uh, he had dimes. He had rebounds. Uh, it didn't look like it was going to be a 50-point night or a career high by any stretch of the imagination. Dude, see, I disagree. Can, can I pop in oh, here? Yeah? I just yeah. – I, I felt like it, it, it's been a thing all year where, you know, Ant has these, like, 15, 18, 20-point quarters, right? I mean, I – I should look that up. I bet you what he's had 15, 20 of those this year. I mean, he, he explodes like that in individual quarters, but it's all season. Those big quarters have been surrounded in the same game by two 
or maybe three quarters of just a very muted performance. And I don't, I don't know what it was exactly, but it felt maybe it was the defense that you're talking about. It just felt like Ant was locked in and locked in from the first minute of that game where I, I remember tweeting like in the, you know, the, the end of the first quarter when he had, you know, maybe 12, 13 points. I was like, this, this, this feels sustainable to me. It, it, I said, it looks like Ant right. might go for 50. And and I don't know oh, what see, that was exactly, but it felt like it. My point is, is it felt like it was going to be four quarters of Ant last night, and we often get one, two, or three. I don't think what I said disagrees with that at all. I think that, um, I thought it looked more like it was going to be uh, twenty nine, nine, and twelve. Sure, uh, and good defense. Um, I think that the defense and obviously the shooting, you know, in the weird ending to it. Uh, but in general, what I was impressed with, I, I said to John uh, about midway through the second quarter, because Kaczynski and I kind of sit near each other now. I said, this is the best he's been since the all-star break easily in my view. Right. And, and it was just the way he was looking at the court, looking at the way it seemed like he wasn't tunnel vision, which is always his biggest problem on defense. Um, and sometimes on locks, offense. Too. He locks in well. He locks in well on defense on, on what he thinks his assignment is. But when that assignment changes because of movement, he oftentimes gets caught. That wasn't happening much. Um, I just thought in general, what I liked about the performance is that there was room for other people until he started to really go off. And then everybody gravitated toward him uh, and they weren't as good. Um, that's the thing. Um, this team needs to, in fact, this is something I meant to write in the piece today and left out. Now that I think about it, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy writing today, but uh, essentially they need to act like they've been there and they don't, you know, and that's telling, I think that's a tell. That's not a good sign. You know, um, this team needs to be poised sooner rather than later or they're in trouble. And, um, and you're just talking about the end of the game frustration with yeah, that. I'm talking about the end of the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't so much frustrating as it wasn't that unexpected. You know, this team does have this, uh, it's the flip side of camaraderie. It's the flip side of everybody pulling for each other. But taking care of business is not as high a priority on this team as it should be, I think. Um, I think it, it might be part of it for me as I had the Nuggets game up on my iPad while Ant's uh, parading attempt for 50 was going on. And so in my head, I knew it was over for the sixth seed already. Right. And I think with that context, if you would have gone into that game with the context of it doesn't actually matter for, right, right. for any sort of thing, that kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it makes it less about taking care of business. And then you go, okay, I guess he's just gunning, whatever. These are meaningless games. But see, I, I don't think, I think that if you're going to play the games and you're not going to sit your starters, yeah. Then you need to develop good habits. Mm -hmm. um, I agree with that. You know, I mean, and so it is one of those situations where Fitch is very much a player's coach, and he 
Yeah. <laughs> likes to give people room to do what they do. You know, he said last night about Pat Bev in answer to your question. Um, I found that with good defensive players, you have to give them as much latitude as you give good offensive players. That's a pretty creative thought, I think. Yeah, and, I like uh, that. And, and what that means is that it's up to the players to sometimes police themselves. Right, totally. It's, it's kind of a real gamble to let a team, you know, Delo wasn't there last night, but to let a team led theoretically by Cat and Delo um, govern your behavior. Uh, you know, uh, it just, look, they've won 46 <laughs> games. They've won 46 games. So yeah. this is really uh, small potatoes on the scale of complaints. Um, I, I just think that, I worry about their survivability in this playing series. And I think they need to do a lot of things right. And as encouraging as it was to see Ant play so well, um, they just went back into, hey, you know, we're having a good time now, right. you know. And I think these prevailing circumstances um, mitigate against that kind of attitude and i would have i'd be happy to be wrong you know i mean i think the column i wrote today was actually from a straightforward perspective kind of a downer for probably most people uh i didn't have a lot of positive things to say well it i mean it's going to be a, a difficult a difficult play in game match up there and, and and we'll get to that i i think just for me to kind of put a bow in the ant fourth quarter thing is like, I think he's going to have to pay the price karmically for that. in just uh, everybody like the Clippers put together a little montage of like the, the six shots ant, you know, ant took to clearly gunning for 50 and that makes its rounds on Instagram and Twitter and all that. And ant, it has now, you know, soured in the outside of Minnesota public opinion of, okay, he really actually only got 49 because he was doing that, right? Because all the clips shows are those are those shots yeah. in the fourth quarter. Reality of the situation is it was two things. It was a dominant ant performance for yes. 46 minutes. And right. then he became a 20-year-old uh, with two minutes left in the game. And he had no big brothers that were policing that quote-unquote immature behavior and and quite frankly, uh, you know, instigating that behavior. Pat Bev right, committing right, the foul right. with eight seconds left so the Wolves could get the ball back so Ant could potentially score. You know, Cat incessantly five looking seconds. for Ant, the five seconds. There's all that, like, that is going to be what it is. But I, for me, like, I didn't even talk about it last night because I, yeah, I honestly, I don't really care. I'm, I'm looking at all this through the lens of, like, or 99% of Ant's performance last night. I'm looking at it through the lens of, like, Okay, back physically healthy. His coach said so. He said so after the game. And he looked it. He was doing the things that he was doing to be a dominant player back in December and January. And so I can't get my head out of thinking about everything Wolves related right now through the lens of the play-in series and then the right. first round series against Phoenix and Memphis. And two minutes of immature ant play at the end of the game. Sure, like... You no, don't no, get any gold I, I, stars I for it, but I think that's a, I just, that's an I don't excellent care. perspective. I think that's an excellent perspective. 
so long as um, it is that minor a thing. See, I, that's what I'm yeah. not positive. I, 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 I'm I not think positive it's not... that within the locker room that that's the way the vibe goes. No, I think you're right. I mean, <laughs> I think they they do have that like free. A cat called it too much swagger, you know. And <laughs> and and I think that swagger has been part of the reason this team is what it is this year. But right, right. but it it's like it's like the cup full of water. Like you could only you put too many drips in there once it's at the brim and it starts it starts spilling over. And that you and know speaking that's of what water, there's only so many times you could douse somebody's <laughs> head with water as they're doing an interview and have it be a cool thing, you know. <laughs> Next time Jordan McLaughlin scores 14. <laughs> no water on J Mac. That stuff will fly right off that head. It is a perfect encapsulation, though, of of what this team is like for better and for worse, right? I like, agree. That's that, a very good point. That swagger, borderlining on arrogance. Um, they've weaponized this season. Unjustified arrogance. Let's face it. Sure. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, what have they won? Right. They're a seventh seed, and and yeah, the arrogance is the- more predictive. Like them clowning Russ against the Lakers was more like, yeah, they haven't won more than Russ, but that's Cat and Pat Bev and all those guys' way of saying, we're better than you now, which is right, right. which is true, but not necessarily like scientifically <laughs> proven out, right? With the, well, not only that, but now that you're down on the ground and we can kick you, we're better than you. <laughs> did you see did you see that uh one shining moment montage of the of the Lakers? No. Oh my God! Yeah, it is the funniest. It is the funny. It's the whole Lakers season with the backdrop of the one shining moment. I, I tweeted, out, listeners, go go watch this if you haven't. It's it's on my tw- It's the funniest thing, and the wolves are heavily featured in like the climax of when normally in the NCAA tournament they're like, you know, the winners like raising the trophy. It's Pat Bev <laughs> plugging his nose and cat in slow motion, like looking around. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's so great. The wolves are better than the Lakers. We, we do, we Without do know that. that. We do know that. Without a doubt. <laughs> and, and right now, I mean, Pat Bev is better than Russ. I'd rather have him. Oh, yeah. And, it's and, not even, you know, yeah. So, who, who would argue that? Right. Like, it's, right. Well, I mean, I'm sure some people would. Yeah, him. that's true. That's true. But anyways, um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not too caught up on that. I, I'm really in impressed with with. I mean, you can just tell when Ant is doing the things that are profitable, right? And right. and the one thing that really stood out to me and bounce us off you before we get to the preview is just I had underestimated how much Ant's lack of getting to the free throw line was holding him back this season, right? And I just went in like to to free throw rate, you know, the percentage of shots that you get fouled on. Yep. And Ant is only getting fouled on 9.4% of his shots this season, which is like just above average. And the other guys who are in that range are Eric Gordon, Mikhail Bridges, um, who is another one, Terrence Ross. Yeah, Yeah. right. Like guys who are clearly shoot first, drive second. And, and so to some extent, if you look at it, that, that's a weird tribute to his athleticism because one of his growing yeah. weaknesses is avoiding contact in order to make the bucket. Right. And um, I haven't minded it that much because I think it is a cool skill. Sooner or later, they will follow him as he's doing that. Uh, 
And also, I think you'll just get more calls as the rest get used to him. But I do think that he does avoid contact. And that is certainly, I haven't gone back and looked, but I bet you if you look at the first three months of his career, he was barreling at people right. a lot. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think so just, maybe that's he just, just decided, you know. Right. Maybe that's kind of like he stopped doing that when his knee was bothering him. And even though his knee is better, that kind of put him like in a mental place of this is how I'm I'm playing in, in this game. I mean, last night he shot 28 shots, 14 were twos, 14 were threes, including, you know, five, the last five were were, were threes at the end. So exactly. he was he was getting downhill. Out, yeah. It was really a good, really a good game. I mean, I have the last two minutes. I don't blame Ant as much as I just say it's a it's a bad vibe mm -hmm. for a team about to enter a play in where it's going to be a rugged road. Uh, but in terms of Ant himself and in terms of what he's done, I remain a big fan while I also say that one of the ways, probably one of the biggest ways, even more than his defensive inconsistency, that Ant is young, is that he's he's a sine wave. He's streaky, and, you know. <laughs> uh, even when it was November, December, January, and he was on this upward trajectory, within that upward trajectory, there were games where you just went, I wonder when he's going to go off, you know. Right. And, it was an expectation. Um, yeah, and some are sooner than later, and it's clear to me that whatever happened with the knee is probably still going to come up every now and then in the course of whatever they play for the rest of this year. And we're going to notice it a little bit, but, um, at least there's two days off between playoff games though. And also I think that, um, it is mostly mental because it's pain that is not, you know, uh, permanent pain. Um, but you, you know, you don't know that. I guess when you're playing and you're hurt, you know. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, Ant's performance last night really, really provides. It raises the ceiling on what this team can do in the next three weeks. Well, Ant, and specifically to the free throws, like if if he is downhill against the Clippers and gets the line like nine, ten, eleven times. I feel way better about the Wolves' odds than that. If he averages nine free throws a game against the Grizzlies, like, I don't know. I mean, if, if that's if that's what it is, I think then that series is probably six or seven games. I, I think it's like, I, I just was like going through, and, and the math of it is really kind of profound. When when you, you look at, okay, so Ant's 9% of his shot attempts. He, he draws free throws. Jimmy Butler, who's very good at that, but like, you know, physically pretty similar to ant like butler is on 20 percent of his yeah of his yeah. foul shots so that's more than doubling like you're, you're he, he it, it makes it, it's just those are free points you know those yeah. are those, yeah, are, those know. are free points and that adds up over the course of you know 10 games that's 10 points or something or 20 it points is an arc, though. yeah i don't i you know it's not you don't leave it in the ref's hands i mean you look at the people who get the free throws, especially Butler is actually a perfect example because there's a guy who is very, very crafty. I mean, his two years with the Wolves were a great lesson in how to get 
something out of nothing. Butler is not a great offensive player by any means. And he certainly is not nearly as refined in terms of his shooting. He's refined in terms of his drawing fouls. But uh, if if Ann can get some of that wisdom ginned up, then, yeah, I don't expect – I would be surprised if Ant eclipses more than four or five free throws a game for the rest of the season. I, just, I think this was an outlier, quite frankly. 14 free throws mm-hmm. doesn't strike me as Ant's usual thing, in part because – Well, it was his career high, <laughs> so literally it's and, never happened before. And, and, and no coincidence, D'Lo wasn't in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know D'Lo – Dio likes to make the decision on when somebody gets to drive to the basket when he's in the game, mm-hmm. you know, and Ant didn't have that, that lever saying, you know, get it back to Dio so he can set something up. Right. Or if you, if you drive this time or that time, you know, whatever, you won't be able to necessarily drive again. Nothing against Dio. He's being a point guard, except that what we're seeing is another sign that maybe Ant belongs with that second unit, and somebody like Jordan McLaughlin doesn't mind stepping back as long as the pace keeps up. You know, I've always—I mean, we've talked about this. I've since the beginning of the season been interested in the Ant without Cat and D'Lo on the floor minutes, simply because it just kind of pushes him into that role. I thought at like, I thought at some point over the course of the season, it would—you know—D'Lo's been that one, the first guy out, so he's in with the second unit, right? I've always been curious of like, what would that look like if it was Ant? Or actually, what if it would look like if it was Cat sometimes too? And, and we, we just, we haven't, we haven't seen that like structurally in the rotation. But sometimes right. the, the highs, I guess, of the Ant minutes without, you know, without those guys on the floor, like those are, those are great. But at the same time, I found myself like thinking that last night and I went back and I looked at, okay, what are, what are the stats on the, the cat plus ant plus D'Lo minutes, all three on the floor, and it's a really good net rating. It's plus eight. And if you go yes, cat is. and ant and no D'Lo, it's minus three. It's terrible. So yep. there, there's a temptation. There's value, right? Yeah, there's right. a temptation to be like, well, why don't you just play Jordan McLaughlin at point guard and you know and do all, and maybe that's an off season conversation. But like this year, right I'm sure now, I will be. <laughs> so um, D'Lo does help, and maybe he hurts. Ant's ceiling for points scored. Maybe it hurts his ceiling for free throws in a game. But but overall, to the team, I think even with D'Lo in the shoes, I don't, right. I, yeah, I, I just, or, or the defense too. If, again, looking at the numbers, but D'Lo's right. defense hasn't been, whatever. You, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I like, I guess I'm just saying, like, as someone who enjoys watching, I, I like the minutes where it's just like, okay, go ahead, hey, you know what I mean? And because it's not, he doesn't just exclusively shoot in those situations. Like the last two there minutes, are, notwithstanding, he was distributing as well. There are two players who aesthetically are very pleasing to me when they're in the rhythm of their their own particular skill set. And mm-hmm. one is Pat Bev and one is Ant. Um, I admire some of the, I mean, D'Lo can do that skip pass or that pocket pass and can do those herky-jerky shots where he pretends to shoot by straightening his arms up fully over <laughs> his head and then bringing it back down as people fly by and shoot. I mean, all of that is kind of cool in its own way, but it feels like a toy. It doesn't feel like, 
you know, and, and, uh, and quite frankly, maybe not a thing that flies in the playoffs as much, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably that's true. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Diego is a crafty player, and for all I know, he can make it work. But aesthetically... God, I'm fascinated to see what he does in the playoffs. Fascinating. Well, I am too, actually. I, I think that... Um, I, I think... I'm not counting on Dilo winning any games in the playoffs. But you know um, he could. I don't know he could unless the team has got it in a tight situation and he rediscovers his clutch gene. Uh, because I think that – I think he'll be exposed on defense. I wish right. I didn't, but I do, you know. And I think that – I don't think he'll be unplayable. But I think there will be concern over how his minutes evolve mm. when teams are um, working half-court sets against the Wolves. I think, Brent, uh, that's a, a good way to kind of uh, get us moving towards an actual uh, preview of the play-in and, and the playoffs. So let's, let's take a quick break here and then dig into this right. Wolves-Clippers matchup. Today's show is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions. As I've mentioned before, 20 by 20 Solutions is a Minneapolis-based consultancy that works with growing organizations to create and sustain success. Whether it's technology, workflow, platform architecture, or more, they'll help you build a strategy that fits your goal and execute a plan that fits your resources. This basketball season, 20 by 20 has partnered with Begin Anew, a Minnesota-based nonprofit focused on helping people in their journeys to recover from addiction, providing support and conversation to people throughout the process of recovery. 20 by 20 is sponsoring a donation campaign through the ScoreSide platform where you can tie your giving automatically to every rebound the Timberwolves grab this season. Go to 20by20solutions.com slash begin. That's 20x20solutions.com slash begin to install the ScoreSide app and look for the Rebounds for Recovery campaign and join the campaign. Support your team and your community with every board for the rest of the season. 20x20solutions.com slash begin. 20 by 20 solutions, your sixth man on a winning team. All right, we are back with Britt Robson of Min Post on the Friday before the 82nd game of the season on Sunday. The Wolves are locked into the 7-8 matchup against the Los Angeles Clippers. So Britt wrote a um, substantial preview of that of that matchup uh uh at minpost.com that that you can go check out uh Brit, let's let's just let's dig into it i'm i'm really uh excited for for this matchup as, as well i think i mean this is the the chess of nba basketball that right for wolves fans or for us covering the wolves we don't see very much of um because right. it, it really only it really only comes when you're in the regular season, when you're a good team playing another good team, the Wolves haven't been a good team for that long. And then certainly you see it in postseason type atmospheres, which will be fascinating here against, against the Clippers. They're, they're a team with a coach who can do is, is comfortable doing a lot of different things against any team, but we've seen in four games this season, comfortable and doing an array of coverages an array of different, strategies just to to put up against this team so it's a it's a really cool uh matchup from a basketball standpoint it is a difficult 
matchup for the Wolves, I would say. And I, b- before we dig into your specific pieces of it, I just want to start by asking you this. If you had to rank the teams in the Western Conference of the, the 10 who, who are in the postseason, which one of them would you least like to face? Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix, I would assume, is, is number one. Yeah. I, so yeah. the question really is, are there I other teams? I would like teams? to play Dallas. As good as they played against Dallas, mm-hmm. I don't want to face Luka playoff. Yeah. That guy becomes a different player in the playoffs. Um, so you go Phoenix one, Dallas two. I would go Dallas two. Um, you know, what's crazy is <laughs> I get your point now. Right. The Orleans and the Clippers are in the mix. You know, I, I think really I are. think to my, my order is this Phoenix would be least Golden State would be second least. Yeah, and, you like Golden State more than I do. Well, and, and with the caveat of expecting full health from staff to be playing in in that game or, or if it would just as as an example. Right. Um, but then I, I was I thought about it for a while this morning. I would I would rather the Wolves were playing Dallas in this one game play in than be playing the Clippers. In, in this matchup. I would rather they be playing Denver or Utah. For, well, for sure. I think those are Denver, Utah. I mean, go, you know, go down the line. I'd rather play Memphis right, right, than the right. Clippers in a one game play. In exactly. Thing. Yeah. That's and, a and really we got, good way to put it. We got to, and we got to explain why, why this is as, as you did in the column. Cause I know some people are hearing this right now, like what the hell? And it's, it really is. It is really about they have schemes. a great roster yeah. to, to just throttle some of the things the Wolves do best. Mm-hmm. Um, the the strategy, the way I broke it down, was physicality, experience, and poise. And I just think that those are three areas where the wolves have to elevate on all of those levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's extremely difficult. So certainly ex- the experience part, but uh, there is just. Well, you made a point, and it's been a really good point. You were on it as soon as it happened. Orlando, it happened, and then the Clippers right afterwards. It happened in Utah the previous season. Of the the Wolves having big but mobile forwards who could stay with Cat at the nail or even out to the three-point line if necessary, um, guarding him, and then having the center kind of tag Vando, but pretty much leave him alone unless he got on a cut or something. Mm-hmm. And Nicholas Batoon and um, Marcus Morris, and now they have Roy uh, Rocco. And the thing about Rocco is he's great on that closeout when the guy is getting by the four or the five and thinks he's he's good. Mm-hmm. And I can see it happening with Cat. Boy, I can almost envision it already of Cat doing one of his cool little crossovers or what looks like uh, a stray voltage that turns out to be relatively good and gets by the guy. And then Rocco comes and just snatches it out of his hands. You know, yeah. uh, it, it, it's a bottom line. It's a defense well built to throttle Cat. There was a game this season. It was the second game of the matchup. Cat had zero assists, six foul, uh, five fouls, six turnovers, 
was a minus 20 or 28 or something. It was arguably the most detrimental game to his team's outcome that he played all season. Mm -hmm. And it, it inspired questions about what cat could and couldn't do. It prompted uh, adjustments from Finch and from cat. Well, it drew, uh, no, it drew well, everything into question Brit because yeah. prior to those Clippers matchups and, and the Orlando one before it, it was maybe like eight, 10 games of like, right. The, the starting lineup shift where they right. put Pat Bev and Jared Vanderbilt next to the big three. And you were like, okay, like they're killing teams in the first quarter. This is a perfect Finch called it three high usage guys, two low usage guys. It just fits so well. And you're like, two oh, energy guys, right? Yeah, three yeah, high yeah. usage, two energy. Right. right. And, and you were like, okay, we'll, we'll just have something here. And that three games in a row against Orlando, then Clippers Clippers broke the faith in that because they yeah. effectively ignored Jared Vanderbilt by having Avica Zubats lurk off of him. And they put Nicholas Batum on Cat, who is quote unquote a small, but I mean, he's six nine and pretty thick. Like he can he can right. at least prevent some resistance in terms of physicality on Cat. And he they, has got as yeah. much brawn as Cat does. Sure. I mean, right. if those guys are banging, I don't know who who bounces further, mm -hmm. you know. Positioning uh, and, will be really important in that. If Cat actually oh. has to do his work early to get as close as he can to the box, when we know he has a habit of getting pushed out to 17 feet, and then rather than catching it on the block, you know, one dribble, knock, and go to the right hook, when he's at 17 feet, he has to square up. And now Batum's like, all right, I won. Because I got you squared up at 17 feet. Like, you can beat me one-on-one -on -one off the bounce, but I got big-ass Zubats like sitting at the rim waiting for you there. So that and can, Rocco from yeah. the side. Well, that that's what I say. It init in my head I was like, okay, maybe some of the disadvantage is if Batum has to be guarding Cat or one of those guys has to be guarding Cat, then they're not off ball, right? And right. like I think Rocco's a really good example of that where I think Rocco just has this sort of big brother mentality on Cat and while he shouldn't be able to match him up one on one, he can. We've seen it actually a lot since he left here. And so I'm like, okay, well, the good news is, is if Rocco's on cat, then he can't be doing his Glovington stuff off the ball. Right. But the problem is, is the Clippers got three Rocos. They got Rocco yeah. who can guard cat. They got Batum who can guard cat. And they got Marcus Morris senior who can guard cat. And Rocco hasn't played the wolves this year. And I believe Marcus Morris, did he miss he missed. He a might couple have played one game. I think mm -hmm. he played one game. It might have been the January game. It does seem like he was all alive. But, but it's just three. God, I mean, this this is what and, hurts and the Wolves. It's three guys. It's tough. Also, I gotta say, the backup center was Serge Ibaka, and <laughs> yeah. and I actually think Hartenstein is a tougher matchup. For Great Kat. point. I know that sounds silly, but Hartenstein. I looked. I said. This guy killed the Wolves a couple of times. I had to go back. I found it. It was in Utah, when Houston. He was in Houston. Oh, yeah. It was during the, the 1920 season or the 18. Didn't he have like season. 10 offensive rebounds against him in that game? He had a phenomenal amount of rebounds. He had 16 rebounds in one game. And a game that Cat didn't play, he abused Gorgie for like he was 10 of 11 from the mm -hmm. floor. Um, and he, 
in both games, one game he was plus 29 and another game he was like plus 36. <laughs> I mean, he just was invaluable. Well, and, and, and he's really improved this season. I mean, Hartenstein is a, is a, is a good, a good player. They, he was a guy I know that a lot of teams were, were looking the wolves were trying to trade for Isaiah Hartenstein. I know that at, at the deadline and, and the Clippers didn't trade him because I mean they don't have his bird rights or anything like that, but they view him as a critical part of this team. And as the season's right gone on, so. he's become increasingly that. And so I think for Wolves fans, as you're thinking about the four Clippers matchups that the Wolves have had this year, you really gotta factor in that this team is different even than those teams and better because Hartenstein is better. Really makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the games, uh, the game that the Wolves won. In uh, January, Ibaka was the leading scorer, and maybe Bledsoe or somebody was second. Whoever it was, they're <laughs> long gone. Yeah, you know. And so now you add Rocco, Norman Powell, and yeah. and Hartenstein jumping up, and those are the those guys are the three players on the Clippers this season who have the best, the biggest net rating differential on that team. They've been. It's like Roko's like plus sixteen. It's insane. They can all switch like sons of bitches. I mean, they just are really, really good at. Uh, the Wolves have trouble with good switching teams. You know, teams that know how to switch. Um, and it's just it's a bad matchup. I mean, it's. Uh, and what's crazy is when everybody says, oh, wait till Paul George gets back. And I said, come on, you know. We, said, we did this like you know, 10 days ago. He's going to walk in the door, you know. We were Paul wrong. George we were wrong. <laughs> he walked in the door and immediately became a star. I mean, what's going on here? The guy wrecks his UCL in December and boom, here he is. Norman Powell, who's got a ring from playing in Toronto is a really nice two-way player mm-hmm. uh, has that Toronto system in his blood. Uh, they are just deep. They, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who follows the Clippers a lot. And he says their best lineup might be Paul George at the point and just run a huge lineup and everybody switches, oh, you know, God. Reggie Jackson could be with the second unit mm-hmm. and, you know, if that happens, Reggie Jackson's too big for J-Mac. Mm-hmm. I mean, he might not be able to stay with him, but he's 6'2", you know? Right. So not, none of those guys – I mean, one of the things I focused on with the piece is the line the, – the, the rosters are just – if you put them on a scale, the Clippers would just move all the way over, you know? Just In terms of weight, yeah. Weight and size and brawn um, – I mean, Hartenstein and Zubox are so clearly physically more uh, aggressive than Nas and Cat. And you know, no disrespect to Cat, who I think has battled all year. What about Moose, and- baby? What about Moose? <laughs> you know, that's not play. a bad signing. <laughs> No, not at all. I think he will play. I think he will play. I think there will be times, especially if, if I'll tell you, if they play San Antonio or New Orleans, Moose will play. There will have to be some drop. Well, and, and I and I am looking ahead. I think he definitely plays in a Memphis series if they get there, because I don't think you can play Nas Reed against a Stephen Adams and Jaron Jackson front court. I don't. Not that you can't. He it's at least Stephen Adams. Not a, I, if Nas when, is hitting his outside shot, you can. 
Well, you know, the there's, there's going to be no Nas Reed slander from me, but I mean. <laughs> Adams can't guard anything outside the free throw line. I mean, that's the thing about Adams. I think he's unplayable with a good, smart center. And the Wolves offensively have two of them. Well, I'll be surprised if Adams plays much. That's, but, that's my daring prediction. Yeah, but I, I, I remember like in because I do those prize picks things. Before yeah. every, and I remember when they they played Memphis the third or fourth time, I was like, "Oh, under on everything for Stephen Adams because there's no way he's going to be able to play for more than 15, 16 minutes." If you remember the game where the Wolves beat the Grizzlies by forty six, I think it was, um, you know, at, they, they played Adams completely off the floor. But right. if you look at the later Grizzlies matchups, they survived with Adams on the floor. Adams was actually really impactful both on the glass and he was able to. He was able to check Cat because I think in part because Cat later in the season was less likely to just take that three and punish Adams on the perimeter. And instead, as Cat's game has evolved, he's trying to punish guys off the dribble with physicality at the rim. And while Adams is a little slow, and same thing goes, this this all applies to Zubats too, if he ever guards Cat, he still has the physicality to not get bumped off by that Cat shoulder when Cat's going downhill. And I also think that this is something you've been preaching most of the season. I am on board with this when it comes to the matchups we're talking about, especially in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. For the Wolves to have a puncher's chance against a better team, Cat needs to score from deep. Yes. I mean, that just that is an X factor that is very important. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to leverage your a uh, relatively high risk but relatively good reward uh things mm-hmm. and cat from deep you know is actually not that high risk except if it if it bumps the team off its offensive rhythm but i i, I do think that cat needs to shoot about three or four of those come down top of the key walk into a three right. shots um because those are impactful people see cat wide open from 25 feet it leaves an imprint you know they will they will adjust their defense they'll space things out and that's more buckets for ant well might be better for delo when he does his little probing stuff and this gets back to why the clippers like cat can punish you on the perimeter a lot more if you're playing drop coverage cat if they get to that grizzly series i have no doubt that cat will punish the grizz i'm not not saying it's going to break them but cat will punish right the Grizzlies coverage by, by shooting. But when you have the Clippers who are going to switch five with him, him and, and they're going to guard him with a small, that it is, it will be harder for cat to get shots off. Now he still needs to do it. He still, right. he still needs to push that volume and take them when there's a window, just to catch and shoot, take it. If there's a window, don't delay, don't, don't think, don't prioritize the drive in that spot. But he's also, if he's got Nicholas Batum on him, Marcus Morris, Robert Covington, He's got to go into his off-the-dribble bag on the perimeter and take threes off of movement. He can do that. It, he can do that. He doesn't do it, but statistically, he's shot hundreds of them in his career, and his three-point right. percentage doesn't drop. That's the key if you're playing a switching team like the Clippers is you need to turn up your aggressiveness. You need to – he's green. he does this thing where his green light to shoot it is if he thinks he can make it 40% of the time. Like, that's why he's a 40% three-point shooter for his career. That's why he has the seventh-best true shooting percentage of all time. 
is because he doesn't shoot threes when they do not have a 40% chance of going in in his head. He needs to lower that bar down to whatever, call it 37% in his head. And you know what? Even if he does that, it's still going to probably go in 40% of the time because he's awesome at it. He just has to do it. It needs to be the same conversation that Mike Honori had with Anthony Edwards on Wednesday about being more aggressive and looking to dominate with the ball in his hands. Cat has to do that too. That's how you're going to make this. That's how you're going to even this out against the Clippers. And this is, I mean, we've been, I don't even think we both need to say we're both gun to our head, going to pick the Clippers in this series, but that more than anything else, cat dominance and expanding the profile of shots he's willing to take. That's how the wolves can win this game. And they can win this game. Right. If I, with the caveat, I think that, um, Ball movement needs to be a big part of it as well so that he doesn't have to do too much off the dribble. Because the thing that has impressed me about, you know, when I look at film on the Clippers, is they're all really good handsy. Uh, Rocco, obviously, is elite. But Batum is really good. He's got a wide wingspan. Morris uses his torso really well uh, to wall up people. Um, They're just all smart veteran players. They all have like 9, 10, 12, Batunas, 13 years in the league, and they know how to guard people. And um, they also know how to play playoff defense, which I'm not, it worries me about the Wolves. Uh, Cat is going to be absolutely flabbergasted and pissed off at the way he gets defended in the playoffs because they're going to bag him. And uh, that's going to, He's going to think it's all so unfair and he's just going to get tease and frustration for his trouble. Uh, well, Brett, how do they do it then? What, what is, what is the, what is the path to, to beating this Clippers team? You laid some stuff out in your, in your column. Yeah. I, I actually think that the, to me, the best path is get an early lead and remain confident. Absolutely. I mean, they punch first. Uh, punch first and and just get out there and say hey we're having fun at the same time you know not as much fun as trying to get in for 50 <laughs> points but basically go out there play your game uh make a few tiny adjustments use prince and vando more liberally according to situations so that um if vando looks like he's hurt you on on offense uh and you need a, a, a boost on offense, put in Prince before the regular rotation. Or conversely... This won't happen. I would Me, I would start Torian Prince against the Clippers. Uh, well, I mean, but if your defense needs uh, Vando's aggression and your offense, you need to extend possessions and on the board. It, it sure as hell does against the Grizzlies. I don't think it does against the Clippers. Yeah, And we we see that all the time. We see that all the time in the playoffs where teams do go away from what they've done all season because the matchup dictates it. And we have not seen the Wolves in the regular season do that. They've, as much as they could, provided full health. They start the same five guys. They rotate them the exact same way. They've been doing it for 65 games this season. And and that is Finch and Mike Norrie's conversation that they have all the time. Mm -hmm. Whenever I ask Finch about little wrinkles, you know, is he coming out? No, he was coming out anyway, or he yeah. was doing, you know, it's like, you know, oh, okay, well, uh, 
that's too bad to some extent, you know, <laughs> I, you, you will look at smart there for a second. Uh, but I hope, I don't think the status quo is the best way to beat the Clippers unless Ant, Cat, and D'Lo are on. Pat Bev has walked the razor's edge between mania and at the same time being really smart about what he does. I think Pat Bev really is an incredibly impactful catalyst on this team. And I don't think there's this upcoming play-in game will be the pinnacle of that. He's playing against a team he knows by heart. He, he was with them for four years. Can you imagine how well Pat Bev knows that team? Yeah. And how much he will communicate that to everybody, whether they want to hear it or not, and how much he will dig into his resourceful bag of irksome tricks to try to get this to happen. And conversely, what happens if a couple of things in a row don't go his way and things begin to slide? Um, will he be able to keep his shit together? Um, these are fascinating. That, that to me, the, 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 the ability of Pat Bev to maximize all his resourceful value without falling into a trap of his own making that he feels like he has to do everything. Yeah. I think he has to do most things, but he doesn't have to do everything. Um, that's a fine line. I regard him as, I, I said the piece, I think he's he's more important to this play in game against the Clippers than anybody, any of the other players or the coaches. Because I think he knows what's going on. Um, and you can see him, he's just brilliant at, at telling people what to do that works, which is why everybody on the team just swears by him. Mm -hmm. Is you know He says, okay, go do this now. And it'll work. Now, sometimes it doesn't, but for the most part, it does. And if you got a guy saying that to you, you know, you just—it's kind of like back in the day when KG was playing, you know. Right. And Cat likes that. Cat likes to be told what to do if he trusts the person. Right. Um, one more break here, and then let, let's keep talking about the series. I got a—I got some other sure. outside of Pat Bev, some other X factors, if you will, to get to. Back with Britt in a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, we are back with Britt Robson for our final segment here of our uh, Clippers and Timberwolves play-in preview. Britt, we were just talking about uh, Torian Prince being an X-factor in terms of potentially playing minutes over Jared Vanderbilt. Pat Bev, for all the reasons you listed off in your column in terms of physicality and and poise and experience, obviously Pat Bev is sort of an inherent uh, X-factor. The other guy to me that that really sticks out is Malik Beasley. Uh, I, I think a lot of this Clippers matchup will be determined by which team hits shots. Uh, just three-point shooting. Both of these teams are very good. Three-point shooting teams can be very high volume. Three-point shooting teams. And, and to me, that brings me back and, and tying into Pat Bev and Torian Prince. When I think about the Clippers and actually like a, a good example of how the Wolves can beat them and their style of play, I think about the my, the win in Miami uh, about a month ago. And I think probably the Heat are the best Eastern Conference facsimile for for the Clippers in, in how they defend. Again, it's it's that heavy reliance on, on switching. Right. It's a lot of those type of guys. And if you remember that heat game, awesome game, and it was sealed by a corner three by Malik Beasley in the corner. And the five players that right. were on the floor in that situation were the Wolves' big three and Torian Prince and Malik Beasley. And what you saw on that play was the big three running a strong side pick and roll on the left side of the floor, Ant initiating, comes into the lane, collapse on him, and Ant kicks it out to Torian Prince, who's above the break, Kyle Lowry is between Torian Prince and Malik Beasley in the corner. Prince catches up off the break, immediately swings to Malik Beasley in the corner. Beasley hits that three, and it was the dagger. It was it was the winning play, and I think it's a it's a great microcosm for how this team can, you know, break down those type of defenses by having the big three and surrounded by two shooters. We don't see that that often because you know. Even McDaniel's doesn't fully fall into into he that. He doesn't at all. Yeah, in, no, into he's that. Not, he's not a three point shooter, in my opinion. Right. So I, I just, I think about that. I think, I think about that's that exact a great, play. That's a really good. I'm really glad you you went into such description on it because the Rip, thing because about Vando. It is, think about if that's Vando and Jade McDaniel's out there in that situation. Exactly. That's exactly, McDaniel's exactly. in the corner and it's Vando in the dunker spot. And if you are Ant and you are driving in, you do not have the player above the break available to kick to. You have the two guys flat on the baseline, and Ant then has to take that shot through two people. It's completely different. And if you're a defense and you've denied Ant and you've denied Prince, you've done your job. Yep. You know? And so you just have to say, all right, third pass, guy in the corner. That's what happens sometimes, mm -hmm. you know? But for the Wolves, it doesn't happen very often because it can't. I mean, unless the only thing you can do is somehow, and Cat doesn't, there's no not much run for Cat for shots in the corner where he's actually pretty good. Um, but that would be the only way you could do it is to flip Cat and Vando. But there again, mm. Vando can't magnetize like Cat can. So it doesn't work. I, I like the idea. I also think that maybe it's not a starting thing, but I think you got to go to that five. It might be a quasi closing thing at the yeah. very least, a, a mid fourth quarter thing, mm -hmm. you know, before you bring back all the guys who need to play, right. you know, um, I do think that what 
makes Beasley special, especially on this team, is the quickness of the release and the ability when he's on to shoot over contest, you know, contested threes. Yep. He can make contested threes better than anybody on this team, with the exception of Ant when Ant is insane. <laughs> but you yeah. know, um I agree with you on Beasley and Finch has noticed it. I begrudgingly notice it. Defense. I, I think yeah, I yeah. think that we're it's all wishful thinking to some extent. I agree that he's better. Malik Beasley, I agree we're talking that about he, here. Yeah. yeah, Malik Beasley's defense. I do think that he is somebody who has dedicated himself to doing the right thing all season. You know, Malik Beasley's been a stand-up dude all year in terms of who he is, how he fits on this team, what he tries to do with people. You know, for all his baggage. The guy has really come through with flying colors as a team guy this year. Mm-hmm. And and yet he still does not play very good defense. Uh, you know, I mean, it's the way it is. He's, for one thing, you know, he's like 187 pounds, which is a problem. You know, you get, you, you get wiped out on the slightest picks that way. He might be a little bit heavier than that now. <laughs> that's right. He's listed at 187. Well, that's because... <laughs> I, I think Malik Beasley weighs 20 pounds more than he did when he came to Minnesota. And that was part ah. because he was, he might've been under that 187. Shape, right? Like he was yeah. out of shape in the other way, almost when he, when he came to Minnesota, I, or maybe in too good of shape, you know, maniacal right, training, whatever. Blade, right, he right. was thin and like six, three, six, four and thin when he got here. And now he's a little bit, you know, brawnier, which I do think, right. You know, a, a lot, a big thing he kind of got like banged on at the beginning of the year was was coming in out of shape because he spent part of the summer in jail, and and that right. was true. But there, I, I kind of not. I'm not saying Malik Beasley is a good defender. I think his defense has been better this season than than it's gotten credit for. Understanding of the concept and a little bit more strength, size, and resistance as the low man than for sure than like a Jalen Noel plays. Or Jordan McLaughlin. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think it, I I do think that um, he prides himself on low man stuff. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. He likes he likes to get in the middle of like scraps for loose ball underneath the hoop. You right. know, I think Britt with that, him, it, it, it like I, I was rewatching last night's game, and there was there was a couple of just plays where all like on defense he was off ball and. Or he was on ball at first, and then the guy swings it, and somebody else shoots it, and Malik immediately goes down and just like hits somebody to put a to put a body on him. That's like his defensive job there. Just just box somebody out for the defensive rebound, and I think that's like very much a behavior of classic shooter guys who aren't really good defenders. They're like, okay, you know, I can't really match up and stop you. It's not my game. I'm I'm a shooter. Right. I'm an offensive player. But I know that if I just press this button of go box out, go hit somebody, like push them out of the way, I've at least done something productive. And I think a big part of Malik Beasley getting better at defense this year is that he got rid of the idea in his head that he can be a lockdown guy individually. And he decided right. to be the shooter guy who profiles as a weak version of three and D by just doing really basic stuff offensively. He used to be so obsessed with 
getting the deflection, getting the steal, getting the block. And oftentimes defense is just about how do we limit the odds of the other team making the shot or retaining right. the possession, you know? And, and I think little things I, like I that. I agree are with you. I agree with you mentally. I agree with you that he has been addition by subtraction and that he doesn't, <laughs> he kind of reminds me of George McLaughlin. I try to be like a J-Mac on defense, somebody who is, is not capable of physically stopping anybody. So mm-hmm. plays lanes and, and tries to anticipate things. It's just that he wasn't very good at it. Plus his angles. That's always the thing I say about him. Eventually when yeah. I talk about his defense is he runs it at plays. He doesn't know how to get to the action in a way that helps him. And he's already undersized. So coming in at the wrong angle without enough force I think ruins his defense a lot. But I do think where I agree with you is that he's thought about it and decided I can't keep pulling myself out of plays with stupid moves. I need to start doing something productive. This is what I will do. Mm -hmm. Um, I do agree with you that that's what he's done. And I think, to be honest with you, he's done that on offense too. Did you notice after he had that scorching long period of hitting threes and then he began to miss some, that he began to mix in a lot more twos? Like he was beginning to say, hey, you know, I'm not hitting threes. Let's see if I can make twos. Who would have ever imagined Beasley doing that, you know, for most of his time here, you know? Well, it was, I mean, in the beginning part of the season, like the halfway part, well, you just like looked at it. And it was like seventy-seven percent of his three of his total shots have been have been three pointers, and to some extent, like that's a good thing if you you know if you are open and available for those shots. But he does a good job of making himself available for. Right. But I think what, what what you've said to me more that that stood out even less so than pursuing twos. Once he started shooting threes really well, he stopped forcing them. He like tried to right. shoot himself into rhythm and that's what sort of buried that three-point percentage because the volume of threes was so high and he was making low 30s of them he kind of like if you just go through his game i mean there's still like i think last night he shot 10 threes but it's it's fewer and further in between that he's shooting double digit threes in a game and and that's kind of helpful because if you keep it to like six you know there's not as much. I mean, it's just really killer when there's the games where he does shoot double digits. And he's like one for nine, you know, to start yeah. stuff like that. But so, you know what? He has fewer of those than Dilo does this year. I bet. Sure, better shooter. Yeah, but I mean, also, let's face it: one for nine from deep from anybody is killer. Right. And uh, the thing about Beasley now, we could not have said this in mid-December, but. When he is loading up, somebody is saying, I might get benched uh, if I, you know, if I'm not out there. I mean, because you know that the instructions are part of the game plan is run Beasley off the line, keep an eye on him, make sure he isn't wide open someplace. Um, that's why he's got to play. That's why he's got to play when they're guarding Cat with Batum and doubling with Zubats. <laughs> Do your work early, Cat. Get deep position. Force Zubats to come over early, put them in rotation, bang, skip, skip. That's Beasley. Like, Cat doesn't, or Beasley doesn't play with Cat that much. Like, that's how you break that. 
Like that's how you break that's it. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I I I totally agree. Um, I think he's I huge think, in this game. I think he's huge in this game. I don't think the Wolves have that kind of recognition, though. Do I don't you? either. No, <laughs> because they haven't done it all year. Like every time, every, yeah, in my I head, in my but head. They also, I think yeah. they feel like, all right, it's I need to take over the game right now. I think all three of the big three occasionally lapse into that sometimes. And well, so they if, don't if say, Pat's hey, going to bring the do the passes. right play thing, as he says, which is right. not being more aggressive than his percentages suggest he should be. Um, then, if he's making the right pass, Malik Beasley better be on the floor and all, like read that. Okay, Cat is not does not have aggression on one hundred. Put Malik in the game because you right. you need you know you need that spacing around him, and I know it's cumbersome when you play all four of Cat, Ant, D'Lo, and Malik at the same time, none of them are above average defenders, really, um, right. or well above average at least. And But, like, this might just be a game where you're going to have to outscore them. And and, and, and that is, that's why Prince is an important fifth player there because... Love that um, lineup. Because Bando and, and Pat Bev are aggressive defenders. And if you put somebody out there that isn't an aggressive defender, um, you're, you're, you're conceding, you're basically training baskets. And the thing I do like about Prince is that he'll get his nose dirty. I mean, he will, he'll try to muck stuff up, which is not enough players on this roster really do that. He's not great at it, but in the right circumstances where you're playing a, if you have that lineup on the floor, you're playing at a very high pace, I would think, and mm-hmm. you're spreading the floor, and you're kind of inviting the other team to do the same thing. And that's when Prince is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. He does recognize who to guard, when to guard them, when to jump off them to somebody else. He, he's got a good instinct on defense on a spaced floor, I think. But can't they just do this, like do a different rotation and – well, one, you're going to play the starters more, right? Like Cat, Ant, and D'Lo right. in this playing game, you got to think are going to be close to 40 minutes. So why not get rid of D'Lo subbing out at the six-minute mark in the first and third quarter so you can be back in with the second unit and keep the big three in for all of the first quarter or close to all of the first quarter and have your one sub be Beasley and Prince in for Beverly and Vanderbilt for the second half of the quarter and play with those five. Cause I'm with uh, Vanderbilt and Beverly are obviously huge for this too. in the energy and the things they provide Vanderbilt is not necessarily a net negative just because Zubats isn't guarding him. I think those right. guys still need to play, but as they pare down the rotation, that's what I would be targeting is right. put those five on the floor intentionally there. And then in the second quarter, you know, you're going to have to kind of like finagle it back together you're probably going to have, you know, you're going to need to rest Cat, Ant, and D'Lo there after they play the the whole first quarter. But if you're going to be playing those guys 38 minutes, the big three, then I think you can get real intentionally strategic about who you're you're surrounding them with. And I would make it as much as possible. Pat Bevan Vando, you're going for one thing. You're trying to punch first in the first quarter. You're trying to punch first coming out of halftime and then go with spacing. Go with spacing at the end at the end of the quarter and into the fourth quarter. I, I, and if it's rolling, then close with it. Like, 
I, th- I think that's a really cogent and well-organized strategy that you laid out. I'll just say to you what you kind of said to me earlier. Ain't going to happen. Do you think it'll happen? <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, and so therefore. But why not? Really, why not? Here's, here's a really interesting question. Do you think McLaughlin will play? Yes. He's Finch's favorite player. How, how much do you think? Um, 15. Yeah. Well, it, it, it depends where they set, um, the big three at like D'Lo never really plays over like 34 minutes. He's just a lower minute. And part of that's the rotation, but he's just never been a real heavy minutes guy. So that I think could lead to a little bit more McLaughlin. Maybe you have cat and ant at like 39 D'Lo at 34. Um, so you get, you know, you get some J Mac in there. I would prioritize Beasley and Prince first and second off the bench. And then the third guy I would prioritize is J Mac. See, and I think that what you forget there. Or I think you, that's you did, I think that's what Finch will do. I think Finch will he'll be third on the bench pecking order as well. Except that what about McDaniels? I think McDaniels oh, yeah, will be ready for full, for full service. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Okay, so ninth. But still, maybe you're right. Maybe it is just just 12 minutes then, but yeah, I mean, then then Nas McDaniels is your McDaniels and McLaughlin yeah. are, are really fascinating because yeah. uh, they're both. It's really a shame that you can't like smash McLaughlin and D'Lo together into <laughs> one player because uh, they both really need what the other one has. We could and, try. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I think. Here's another question I have for you. This is something I thought about, and I didn't have a good answer for it. Who is the primary defender on Paul George? Is it Ant? Is it Pat Bev? Or is it McDaniel's? Well, I don't think McDaniel's is going to. I mean, Britt, maybe we're getting to here is maybe you don't start the normal starting five. Maybe you got to start McDaniel's. I, I don't think that they're wired that way. I know. I don't think so either. I think they'll go with what got them there, start that five, but. But yeah, with that five, it's tough. They don't, if McDaniels isn't starting, they don't have the typical six, eight, six, nine. I wing think you've got to put Ann on him, right? I think so. Yeah. Pat Be- I mean, Pat Bev will get some, but Pat's given up seven, eight inches in, in that matchup. So, no, and, no, no, no. I mean, Vando. I, what about Vando? Finch prioritizes Vando at the point of attack a lot. We saw that with McDaniels out. Who guarded LeBron? Who was the first matchup on LeBron? It was Vando, no, Luca. It was Vando. I get it. I, get it. I, I think it'll be Vando. You know, so, if that's true, um, is Batum who cross matches on Batum? Ant or D'Lo or D'Lo. I mean, I, that's the hiding spot. Thing's going to be tough with D'Lo because they're going to have five shooters on the floor at all times. Exactly. That's what I think it will have to be. If you look at the rest of the roster, I mean, rest of the starters, unless he's on zoo box for some reason, no. which I think, <laughs> you know, is, <laughs> yeah, no. well, that's what I mean. Who does cat guard? I think cat has to guard zoo box, right? Yeah. So who's on platoon? It's got to be D'Lo because Ant or somebody has to be on Powell. And mm-hmm. then I don't know if Reggie Jackson is playing or not, but I think that's uh, the assumption to start. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a. Uh, I think they'll put Pat on Reggie. And then you've got Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard. You know, I mean that. 
they've got some they've got some people that can create problems tough team. matchup man it's, tough, <laughs> it's, it's a tough matchup i mean i don't know like i got a page of notes here i read your column <laughs> and it, it's it's hard to it's 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 hard to make the case on paper for for the wolves in this game to be to be the favorite in it and I don't know, it's a little foofy and existential or whatever, but it's just going to kind of need to be like it mattering more to them. And right. and uh, you you kind of you kind of talked about it in your piece where you're like the Wolves have a lot more to play for than the Clippers in this game given the Clippers they've have a track they've been there but like they've done it before if they lose it'll be understandable they didn't have Kawhi all year PG for a long time. I don't know if that's how the players on that team think. I think they will view Missing the playoffs is a massive failure. I think they'll even view on the Clippers will view losing in the first round as a failure, depending on on who they have. But with the Wolves, they just need to be better and defy this page of <laughs> of stats. They need to be right. able to break the way that they're going to guard them. And this. This is why it's just in my head, it goes, if you just try and do what you've done all year, start your traditional five, play the way you've played all year. I don't know. I just think it's a, I think it's a one game matchup that demands creativity. And then maybe you win that game, whatever, call it starting Prince Beasley, whoever do stuff different in this one game matchup against the Clippers because they're so unique and then go back to starting Vando and and, and Pat Bev against the Grizzlies. I, I just you're working against it. You got to do something a little bit bold, I think, to balance the scales a little bit here. Here's what I think he will do. I think he will do, which for Finch will be an enormous concession. I think he will do a little bit of what you're saying is hit first with Vando and Pat Bev, but go Mm. to a, a, a blended lineup that is a shooter's lineup more quickly than he otherwise would. Mm. I think that's a possibility. That's the compromise, um, yeah. And and he's got to see. Um, and unless Pat Bev is just Superman, uh, might be. And Vando might be. <laughs> Vando kind of looked like a little yeah, cape. I will Vando tell you again. That, that little cape. Don't 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 knock <laughs> the little cape. Uh, For twelve people understand that. <laughs> and they're getting a good laugh so let's leave it in Uh, it feels to me like the Wolves are going to be in a position where they're going to start getting really chippy and how that goes Uh. is going to be you know whether that will rouse them into another level of goodness or whether that will just be like a cover your eyes, you know, one of these cat vests that are. Well, that's what I'm know. thinking of is cat. Like when thing, if things get, chi- I'm, I'm not against things getting chippy because I think, you know, you're kind of the little brother Pat here. Bev will get things chippy yeah. though. At some point in time, the odds on Pat Bev slapping the ref, ref in the ass are very high. That's <laughs> all I can say. I, I, I think the, the, the people, hearing this right now and they're like, "Uh Oh, a chippy matchup. Like what's that going to mean for cat, you know, voltage and all. And I mean, right. I, 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 Wolves fans are classically conditioned to be 
annoyed and scared of, of cat foul trouble. The one thing I think is a slight advantage in, in this series or, or a positive externality is they don't really have a guy who can go at cat to put him in foul trouble. If cat gets in foul trouble in this matchup, it will be offensively, right? Which are, you know, flip a coin that goes both ways, but I don't think like Zubats is going to get cat on some lobs and stuff like that, but that's not typically the situation where, where cat's going to foul cat's going to, you know, slap down on a guy driving and this and that when he's guarding him, but he's going to guard Zubats and I, I don't know if I want to predict that it's not going to be a foul trouble game for cat because more than half the time it is a foul trouble game for cat, but it seems like a game that he could avoid it. Given that I don't, I don't know how much he'll be targeted. Put it like that. I think he'll be targeted psychologically. <laughs> I think they will pick at the scabs in his brain. Yeah. About, yeah. I mean, I, I think that Zubak will, will hit him in the ribs. Batum will, you know, grab his jersey. Uh, they'll do the, you know, the the shit that happens in the playoffs. They'll do all the stuff that 10 and 12 year veterans or Pat Bev does to the <laughs> other team. And, you know, just stuff that, that messes with people. Right. And Cat will have all this pressure on him thinking this is, you know, I've got to be the team leader. Superstars show up when they need to show up. And, you know, here we go. And I think there is a danger. It will be an inflection point, if nothing else. When the game gets chippy, which is why I brought it up, if Pat Bev can channel it in the right way, then it could be a real help. Right. Slightly more likely, like 60% more likely, you have to sit Cat down for a little bit and regroup. Uh, because I do think the stakes are higher. The Clippers have been here before. They've gone against Luka Doncic, who, you know, great A asshole, great player at the same time. They know how to bait these guys, you know? And true. I don't know. I mean, you know, no coach it, picks it, at scabs more effectively than Ty Lu does. I mean, he brought up the Dallas series that they right. that they did that. And then look at Utah last year, too. I mean, right, right. like that. That's Go what Ty Luke does is he goes, what is this other team worst at? How do we frustrate them? And we have the personnel with a bunch of six, eight dudes to be able to really do whatever we want to do. That's the biggest problem. The mm-hmm. biggest problem, you know, to sum up, uh, I would say the biggest problem is the Lakers can be large and small at the same time because they have guys who are medium size who play big but are quick. Right. And that's that's tough. That's a, you know, that's why they're good. When they when they're healthy, that's why they're good, you know. I mean, Norman Paul was a bucket and uh, Paul yeah. George is a multifaceted player. And Zubak has been playing with these guys long enough to know where his seams are. And then you've got, you know, That's a good point. They know each other point. well. They know each other. They know their seams. And when, when you forget about guys like Kennard or Terrence Mann, Terrence Mann will will get in Pat Ben's face at some point in time. And they'll, you know, Terrence Mann is a, you know, a red ass is what we used to call him. I don't know if it still is. But, uh, you know, this whole idea of there are guys who are feisty. And uh, then there are guys who 
play dumb like Zubox will floor you and just, oh, you know, I guess I hit them. <laughs> you know, but, you know. <laughs> so, you know, it just, it's going to be a, it's going to be a psychological drain. Mm-hmm. And if I will hit, the longer I talk, the more I think, man, if they win this game, it's going to be a great win. <laughs> it will be. It will be. All right. So do it. Give me, give me a prediction. I think it'll go about 126 to uh, 112 Clippers. I'm also going to take the Clippers. Um, I am going to go closer deficit. I think my prediction is the Wolves will punch first. And as you highlighted in your piece, the Clippers are have a, one of the worst first quarter offenses in the NBA this season. 104. The Wolves have one of the best 115. Um, I, I think the Wolves will come out there and and it will hold the kind of arc of a game that we've seen this year where the Wolves have played good teams well, like the Suns matchups come to mind. Right. Where they do where they where they punch them, but then and they the Wolves have a six, seven, eight point lead. And then over the course of the game, you just know as the third quarter is going on that it's going to come down to fourth quarter execution at the end of the game. I think it goes in that direction. And and because of the reasons you laid out, physicality, experience, poise in the in the fourth quarter, I, I think they will out-execute the Wolves. And I'll say Clippers 111, Wolves 110. Ooh, Real close. A heartbreaker. It would be. <laughs> that might be worse than 126-112. Then... <laughs> You know, well, then we'll cross the next well, level. Well, at least if the, the Wolves win, you're writer than I am. <laughs> that was, it's a strategy, man. Come on. There you go. That's right. It's like the price is right. You know? Yeah. No, I, I, I do, I do think, I do think the Clippers are the favorite in it in this game. Um, for, It'll be interesting to see with Vegas. Though. I, I do too. I, I think, I think in Vegas we'll have. I think them. they'll make the Wolves like a point favorite. I think I'd go the other side of it. I think it'll be like Clippers one and a half or two. Um, uh-huh. But but very Even close. Even the wolves at home, I I, I think so. I, again, it's yeah. it's tough to make the wolves case, and the, the wolves case is is star power, star power, the culture that has surrounded that star power, and a swagged out belief that you are yes. even better than you, the actually good level that you are. You know, right? And right. and I think right. I think that in my mind in a prediction. Um, moves the point total down to a closer game than what the matchup on paper suggests. I think the Wolves will have that. I think they'll tap into that element. I think Pat Bev will instill that. Uh, really, they're letdown games this season. There's very, very few letdown games this season that Patrick Beverly plays in. The worst losses this season, both of the losses to Orlando, Pat Bev didn't play. The Washington game on Tuesday, one of the most deflating losses they I mean, look, think about the worst Wolves loss of the season. I bet you Pat Bev didn't play in it, you know? And and with that comes a level of, you know, locked-in-ness professionalism that I think they'll bring to this game. Ultimately, will that be enough to break down the other advantages the Clippers have? I would would venture a guess to say no, but I don't think this is like a – 75% 75% chance that the Clippers win this game. I think it's I think it's closer than that. I would agree with almost everything you said. And I did make the case of the piece. And I do believe 
that Pat Bev may have the power in this game above all others to elevate this team. Uh, and by that, I mean walk that razor's edge of uh, not ruining his intensity mm-hmm. with hubris. I think he'll have his ultimate attitude on in a good way. And that may make a difference. I really, I, I can't overestimate, in my view, how important he could be if this team, if he is on his leadership game and this team fully believes in what he's saying, uh, it'll, be an, it'll be an epic win for Pat Bev and for Finch for allowing that culture to bloom that way. They listened last time, right? The one time they beat the Clippers. Uh, yeah, that's what, that was that was really cool to go back and I was doing the advanced mm-hmm. box score thing just to look at it and of course there's a summary and it's like Pat Bev told us he needed this game and yep. you know and I'm just like okay well if Pat Bev says it you know I mean that will have to happen you know it, it's just yeah. it, it, <sighs> these these platitudes and cliches of X Factor and you got to try for 48 minutes I mean you just do like that's yeah, what's new right. for this for the Wolves if you. You don't win in the playoffs unless you play up to like the 90th percentile of your capabilities, you know, like that's just what they're going to have to do. And too often this season, the Wolves have waxed and waned and not brought that for, for 48 minutes. Sometimes they do, though. And when they do have that for 48 minutes, we've seen them play every type of team in the league tough this season. Right. Uh, we've seen them beat, you know, a, a handful. A lot. Of them. They beat Philly. They mm-hmm. beat Philly with Embiid playing in beads, you know, weird ass game, yep. even though he's just back from injury. He had like 20 free throws. Um, <laughs> God, Jesus. You know, I mean, they do. Um, it has to be a baton pass in terms of guys going off though. It isn't one guy, their best games really are these games where cat probably yep. leads the team in points waves, but Be- Beasley has like 21 and D'Lo has 17 and 12 assists, and Ann has like a stealth 25 on 19 shots or something, yep. you know? And uh, and if that can happen and the Clippers get caught in their own bad habits and expect to step on the gas late and they can't, uh, you know, it'll be cool. That'll be, you know, then we have a... a a really cool series with Memphis. Yeah. Wouldn't and that be great momentum going into that series? Which, versus, yeah. you know, having to play either Podal or Valanciunas after facing the squadron of Clipper defenders and hopefully getting through that, but then going to Phoenix. You know, I mean, that just, that sounds like a much harder road. <laughs> so much harder. It's a huge game. It's a huge game, Britt, because, and I've been saying this for a while now, like, I think the importance of this playoffs for the wolves is experience and learning it and right. and just going to the play-in does not provide that for sure i i, you, I agree you don't they get need that a value step. You, they need a step you're right it's no step and and doing so by losing to the clippers and then beating the pelicans or spurs and and then playing the suns it's that would be a small step but i think you probably ultimately get swept or five in that series and i don't think you really get that like healthy juice of the experience in a sun series 
as I've been saying for months, I do think you get that juice against Memphis. I don't think I'll pick the well, Wolves to win that. Well, now that the alternative is the Suns, I'm totally with <laughs> yeah, right. the Warriors. I want. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. I but, just, but yeah. definitely. Um, I mean, I, I do think, you know, I never thought they'd get swept by Phoenix. I mean, by Memphis. I, I thought they would play Memphis at least five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, you know, Memphis is feeling the same way only a year ahead, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so I just like and, teams and, that are only one year ahead rather than like <laughs> nine. <laughs> Instead of like the, the, the Clippers are cycling back their old memories to play. Hey, There's you know? not a second lap here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, those guys, I mean, wasn't that amazing? The amount of series and games and games oh, yeah. started on that roster. Let me, yeah. Let me re- read that off here before we go. So not counting Kawhi, this was in, in Britt's piece. Right. Not counting Kawhi. He's not like, counting you know, Kawhi. needs a team. Yeah. Not counting Kawhi, the Clippers roster has players have played in 97 series and 544 games. The Wolves. 301 of them start. It's crazy. I mean, it isn't like they're yeah. like eighth men. Either, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <you> know? yeah. <laughs> and the Wolves are 24 series, 125 games, which actually was more than I thought. But that's because... Almost half Pat of that Bev. is Pat Bev. Yeah, exactly. And so, Pat Bev has forty-eight of their sixty-five starts. Greg Monroe so is probably what, what it was. Greg Monroe might be Bando like third. And Beasley in Denver, Torian Prince in Atlanta, Nilo mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. I mean, I can name them. There's only like eight guys. Cat, you know, Jake Lehman actually. Lehman got into a couple games in Portland. There you go. Uh, so you know, it, it adds up, but. It's not consequential. Mm-hmm. They don't have the consequential players. The only guy that started for a team that won a playoff series is Pat Bev. <laughs> and uh, his coach in that series was Ty Lu, who has coached 363 playoff games, and Chris Finch has coached zero. And Ty Lu's record now, admittedly, had three years with LeBron, but Five ninety-two, three straight trips to the finals. I mean, you know, that's a lot of playoff experience. So, have we inspired <laughs> listeners? Do you think <laughs> that's the way I felt when I finished the piece? I was already dead tired. I didn't feel like I got to like a dozen other points I wanted to get to, and here I was at twenty-five hundred words, going, Whew, I don't know, man. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very optimistic call." <laughs> You've been so optimistic all season. I, and I, I, I am optimistic about this team. I love the team. It's just a bad matchup. Yeah. No, I think that, I think that, that sums it up well. And, and if they lose it, you know, it won't be the be all end all. They will have, they will have a, another shot and then, and then a playoff series potentially against, against Phoenix, which isn't, that's not a consolation prize that, you know, that will still, that will still matter some, but it just it'll be like the Houston series, right? Which just man makes is going to make Tuesday really fun because there's a. It's kind of like it reminds me of how much we would talk about how important the six seed was versus the seven seed. You know, we're like, oh right. man, if you get the six versus seven, then you don't have to do this and this and that. Well, it's kind of the same sort of value proposition now where. Right. It's right. like winning the play, first plan versus winning the second plan. Those are very, you know, very different paths just for who you're going to have to play, but also just from a momentum standpoint. Like right. they beat the Clips and they're going into Memphis. Like, I don't know. Wolves fans are going to be hot. Like it's going to be, it's going to be 
I, I wish we could fast forward to to Wednesday <laughs> and that's what it is. And then it'll be like, all right, you know, we right. got we got four or five days. Think about the Grizzlies and that. Yeah, right. go to Memphis. Like I'm I'm hoping for that. But yes, they need to cross uh this first bridge first against the Clippers. Uh you could read Britt's column over at, at mimpost.com. Uh he really we didn't hit on a lot of the the good numbers you hit on. I'm glad we mentioned those those series and uh way back. Th- yeah. those sort of stats. Like but, I said, just you know. All this stuff like Norman Powell, um, he would be like the second option. I mean, he'd be somebody we talk about a lot on most teams, right? You know, um, and he may wind up being the guy who just gets thirty because he's not paid attention to him. You know, but we don't need That's we don't need any people. more reasons to be <laughs> damped down about this. Right, it's right, true. Right. It's true, but uh, but yeah, man, it's just gonna be. Be greater than your expectations. Be greater than your sum of your parts. That's how the Wolves win this game. They can win it. Um, it's a yep. it's a it's a it's a tough matchup, but like I don't know. That's kind of like if it happens, it's going to make the playoffs, you know, an even more of a an accomplishment, I think, because it won't have been an easy path, easy path to have gotten there. And there they are, a 46-47 win team. I called them between thirty-five and forty-one. Good point. Predicted thirty-eight. There are nine games or eight games, eight games in the books above that. Right. Uh, five games in the books above my top number. So, you know, what do I know? Who knows? <laughs> right. It would be great to. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't it know. It would be great if they did. We don't know. Right. And that's what the fun of this is, is we can we can look at it. We can rewatch. I'm going to I still want to go and rewatch those those Clippers games. But you don't know. You don't know anything. And that's why the playoffs right. are fun. And it's a particularly. Right. I mean, there's elements of the playing game that are stupid. Uh, there's no reason the Pelicans or the Spurs should get in over the Wolves. But the intrigue is pretty thick in in your March Madness style one game sort of matchup here is going to make, you know, Tuesday absolutely must watch if you're even a fringe Timberwolves fan. I mean, this is the biggest the biggest game they've played in four years. Five years, yeah. four years, right. One thing before we go, just the last thought is, Another way the Wolves win, because it happens on occasion, Paul George lays an egg. Yes. And that happens. Every now and then, Paul George just stinks. Nobody knows why. It just happens. If I think how that happens, though, in this game is Paul George prioritizes his scoring against the Wolves. Always, pick that's and roll. always the way that they mm-hmm. he screws up. Is he... he when he plays in the flow, he's so much better. Mm-hmm. And so it'll be interesting. But what? I do think that that is another way of Paul George. You know, in the first game they played, I think it was the first, one of the first two games they played, he was five for 20 and yep. they still won. Mm-hmm. But it was that kind of Paul George game, you know? So, And and that goes that goes into, like, the pick and roll coverages thing. I don't know if they'll go high wall, right. if they'll go drop on it. But it doesn't – against Paul George, if they go high wall, he's big enough to be able to split that. That's what we saw them do, which that'll put him into the mid-range area to decision-make and to shoot. And if they play drop, obviously you're daring him to get into that sort of range and, and decide. And if he does that, if, if he gets into that area and he takes 8, 10 – shots out of that area or makes eight to 10 plays out of that area in the game. And they only make two of those. I think that's if, 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 that's that, if he's right. stepping in and he's clanking a couple 18 footers early on, then right. they don't have as much of an 
an answer for the Wolves, the Wolves pick and roll defense. So I don't know. We, we, we could go on, we could go on and like, we could do (laughs) every single player on the Wolves and be like this X, 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 and same thing with the, with the Clippers. But I think, I think we've encapsulated it decently well. Uh, Maybe, you know, well, we'll at least talk about it again in person uh, Sunday's game. It's crazy. They still have another regular season game that doesn't feel real real at all. But, uh, but that's what's up next Sunday against the Bulls. They go for, trying to get their 47th win of the season, which will tie them with the Butler and Tibbs team. And then, and then on Tuesday, I got to think cat wants that. I really do. Oh yeah. This goes back to the, they just tried to get 50 points in the 80th game of the season, 81st game of the season. Like that stuff totally matters to say. And, and that's fine. Like, I don't know. I will, you know, right. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in that one too. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how this all plays out. Uh, obviously we'll be talking about this. You'll be writing about this as, as we go forward again, read Brit's uh, column at mid post, follow him on Twitter at Brit Robson. I'm on Twitter at Dane Moore NBA. Uh, until next time he's Brit. I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man. I hope it never stop. Yeah. Green it all so you can find me in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.